Genuine Intelligence podcast where artificial intelligence meets real people. I'm your host, Athena Morse, and my guest today is the wilderness woman that um, many of us, many of us aspire to be like, um, having fully emerged herself within nature, um, and is without a shadow of a doubt an expert when it comes to living in the wild. Um, she's featured on uh, Ben Fogel's documentary, New Lives in the Wild, which is a BBC programme, and has written a number of books to pass on her teachings and experiences. So we are joined today by the incredible Miriam Lancewood. As always, you know, we've got some really interesting questions to throw at ChatGPT. Um, so I'll let you introduce yourself, Miriam, and, uh, and yeah, we, we can get stuck in. Well, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to uh, the conversation together at GTP. And uh, yeah, so my name is uh, Miriam Lancewood. I was born in Holland, but immigrated to New Zealand, where my husband is from. And in 2010, uh, we together decided to leave civilization behind and to live with as little as possible in the wilderness of New Zealand in the Southern Alps of the South Island. And um, I learned how to hunt with a bow and arrow first and later with a rifle. Um, we slept in a tent and we moved around like nomads. So we didn't stay in one place because that would be quite hard. In terms of the law, you know, you're not allowed to build anything in national parks. So we had to move around. And also when you're hunting and gathering food, um, after a while, all the hares are gone because we've eaten them. So we have to go to the next valley. And so we moved around like nomads and uh, cooked everything on a fire. And we basically living like our ancestors did years ago. And that's what we intended to do for one year, but it became seven years. And I've written a book about this called Woman in the Wilderness. And after those seven years, we walked through Europe. And on the way, we found a little cottage in Bulgaria. And uh, we bought it because it was very cheap and very remote, sort of at the end of the world. And um, yes, that's where, where we are right now. I'm sitting in this little off-grid cottage. And we have a big vegetable garden outside. <laughs> and we've got a cat and a dog. And uh, we're almost settled. Uh, amazing, amazing. So have you been in this cottage in Bulgaria for a while now? Was that where you were when Ben came to meet you guys? Or have you moved since then? Yes, Ben Fogel came to visit us in 2017 when we were walking through Europe. And sh shortly after we bought the cottage and then we went back to New Zealand. Long story, all being written down in the book of Wild at Heart. <laughs> And loads happened and we came back two years ago um, in COVID time, which was very scary in one way. And um, so we've been here two years now, but we already have plans of moving on again because we do not stay in one place too long. And I love that. So just out of curiosity then, so what motivated you to get away from urban living in the very first place? I'm always keen to explain that it wasn't escaping from society. It wasn't like that guy from Into the Wild who couldn't stand humanity, you know, and couldn't stand his family and his friends and then escaped. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a question, we call that a meta question, of what would happen with body and mind when living far away from civilization? And so it was like a research project. And um, that was the reason that we moved into the wilderness. But also, we just love being out there. 
So I was working at a time as a teacher in New Zealand and every weekend we go out hiking, but we didn't want to come back on a Sunday. So we said to each other, why can't we find a way to live out here? Uh, because it's just so beautiful. And we like being out there and so empowering and so uh, invigorating to live with the mountains and the rivers and the wildlife. And um, it's just so beautiful. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, so many people absolutely love being out in nature, but not many people will actually take that jump and, um, you know, basically sell everything and move out there. Um, so that must have taken taken a lot of guts to do that. But I mean, while, while you were talking then, obviously, I've asked Jack GPT what it thinks about, you know, you know, what what motivates people to actually do that, to actually not just go out and enjoy nature on the weekends and then go back to normal life in the week. Um, mm. And there are a number of different reasons that it's come up with. So I don't know whether you'll agree or disagree with some of these, but uh, it talks about, you know, people having environmental concerns and actually wanting to live self-sufficiently to, to kind of reduce their carbon footprint and economic reasons as well. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the, the main reasons that, you know, we're, we're doing this podcast, which is um, sponsored by a company called Aera, um, is because the cost of living is just ridiculous. So many people are, you know, moving to van life and moving to being, you know, living more self-sufficiently. And uh, there are talks about, obviously, in the future, whether we need to start growing our own vegetables and our own food um, more locally, because, you know, getting things across the world isn't going to be as easy or as, as uh, cheap as it has been. Yeah. Um, the desire for independence and simplicity and minimalism, would you say all of those are elements of why you also moved out or um, you know was it were there any other reasons as well on top of those that you did yes I think um, you know growing up in a sort of middle class environment I'm used to having everything I need right mm -hmm. to have another device is absolutely not exciting to me mm -hmm. it's very different if you grow up in very poor backgrounds say in a poor country in Africa or something, you know, then your family, everyone wants you to get more materialistic security. And they want you to get more money and a good job and all that, education, all that. But if you come from middle class family in Holland, that is not so exciting. It's very, very normal, so normal that it's boring. So what is more exciting for us is having nothing to live with very, very little and see if you can do it. And so Peter and I walked through the Himalayas in India when we met in 2006. And there we saw the sadhus, who are those, and you know, holy people who have absolutely nothing. And then I was thinking, wow, that's very, very different. And then I looked into spirituality and I think you feel actually way better if you have less, not more. It's as though all those possessions possess a piece of your mind. You have to look after it, right? You have to pay for it, work for it, pay mm. for it, look after it. Uh, like a car, you have to get registration and um, repair and all that costs more and more money. So uh, it's just a worry. How about not having a car? <laughs> and you can do that with every possession. So yeah, yeah part of us, of, part of the reason of living with less was also that, that it's exciting to have nothing. 
Yeah, it's such an interesting spin on looking at life, isn't it? You know, so many people do find themselves happier living more of a minimalistic, simplistic life. And it's no surprise because, well, there's that typical saying, more money, more problems, isn't there? So, uh, so yeah, it's definitely true. And um, it's uh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because we're obviously we're in a, a world where technology is just constantly evolving. And there's always the question whether, you know, should humans now really start looking at going back to basics or embracing technology to, to kind of um, live a, a more sustainable life? Um, with the use of technology, it's uh, it's quite a mix of, of thoughts. Um, I don't know what you think about that before we uh, we dive into what ChatGPT thinks. Um, or... Yeah, indeed. Well, it's a difficult question. But what you said before, the more money, the more problems. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean to say that no money at all would solve all the problems. I think you have to have a certain amount of money. But it would be good if people say, right, I have enough money now and now I don't need to worry about it. But we're so programmed to always worry about money. Even if you've got plenty, people still worry about money. <laughs> so that's part of the program. Um, so it would be really good if people could say, I have enough. I don't need to work this year and I'm going to reduce my costs and I'm going to look into other things in life. Have some time for contemplation, for instance. But uh, about technology, two years ago when we moved to Bulgaria and to this cottage, we got a telephone. And uh, that is totally different way of living with a telephone because suddenly we're in touch with, you know, on the WhatsApp and all that with friends and it never leaves you alone. Um, so it's very, very different. And I would <laughs> say my connection with nature is less when I'm connected to the Internet. So you have to sort of choose either one or the mm. other. But uh, at the moment, um, I do very much enjoy the connection with other people, the connection with knowing what's around the world. But maybe one day I will give up the telephone once again because I know I've done it before, I can do it again. But um, yeah, it's a hard one, very hard. A question in my mind whether, you know, when you watch these um, sort of more futuristic movies or uh, videos about what might happen in the future, what the future might look like, it, it almost does drag us back to our basic instincts of, okay, we, we're going to need to grow our own food and, uh, and, and you know, live sufficiently. But, um, I mean, in terms of what ChatGPT has said is, you know, okay, if we're going back to basics, the there are pros with it, obviously. Um, you know, the environmental preservation of the world. You've got more simpler living, as as you know. Um, but that I would question, actually. Simpler living. Is it more simple to have to find your own food and find your own water and forage? And Or, you know, I don't think I agree with that. I don't know what you think. but Well, living in a wilderness is just totally different. So those seven years we've done in New Zealand, um, we suffered sometimes from severe stress, for example, when there is a storm. But after a storm, the, my fear is gone and the sky is blue again and everything is good. So there's no uh, background anxiety. And I think a lot of people in the city at work, they suffer continuously from anxiety. So um, it's like our ancestors, they had stresses, but they're only short lasting. And I think we're totally built for that with adrenaline and all. 
But life is not really simple, just very different. But um, we had to, for instance, hunt for our food. And um, we had to be really prepared with, say, firewood. We had to collect firewood and still do. And by the way, that's what we'd be doing today. <laughs> collect firewood, sort of, because now it's not raining, but the rain will come. So we have to prepare. And if we don't, we can't light a fire. And in the wilderness, you will just die if you are super cold and even wet and then can't light a fire. So, yeah, it's um, you have to be really organized and people don't often realize that. Yeah, it's almost like that that fight or flight instinct when you were talking about um, that almost uh, anxiety, um, because I remember reading an article about these how animals in the wild, they they don't feel fear unless, for example, um, I don't know, you're a gazelle and you've seen a lion in the corner of your eye. Immediately, they panic and they run. But straight afterwards, they're grazing again. Like, there's like nothing has happened. <laughs> Whereas for some weird reason in humanity in, in these days, everybody is seeming to be on the edge all the time because they've got busy lives and, you know, they're, they're running about here and there. They're stuck in traffic. And, yeah, I don't know whether... I mean, it would be, well, obviously our brains are built very differently to a gazelle, but um, it would be incredible to to have that feeling. Do you, do you find yourself really quite mellow and relaxed when, you know, there isn't a storm or there isn't, um, isn't something going on in the present moment? Yes, definitely. And that's also the influence of technology. So that's what I have observed in the last mm -hmm. two years, that I am a little more anxious because um, news is coming in all the time, like news about, say, the war in Ukraine, or my mum said something, or my friend uh, on the other side of the world said something. So, um, and then social media. Somebody posted a nasty comment on YouTube. You know, all of those things influenced me. Whereas those years in New Zealand, there's no, no telephone, no clock. Uh, there's nothing to, to influence us from the outside so it's a lot more quiet life definitely yeah just going back to the communication side of things then so when you haven't got a telephone you haven't got any sort of external technology lines of communication how is it that you that you go about that do you i don't know do, do people use pigeons anymore for things like communication or owls i don't know whether that's just harry potter um but like how do you go about that because it's just um i don't know how i would live without communication honestly um yeah so i wrote letters on with pen and paper um, to my parents and I just kept on writing so they became like 12, 13, uh -huh. 14 pages until I saw a hun another hunter and then I quickly put it in an envelope mm -hmm. and put a stamp on it and asked him to post it in a town and I wrote down everything uh, all my feelings and all that so my parents learned so much about me and now if I compare with WhatsApp yeah. I just notice how little I write I send a few pictures of this and flowers or whatever. And I'm thinking, hey, you know what? They knew a lot more about me when they received the letters from the wilderness than now on WhatsApp daily, you know? So I think our communication and the quality of communication and the quality of friendship is actually degraded with uh, especially things like WhatsApp. 
I think if you would go back to email, it would be better. But just WhatsApp is just the means of it makes me, at least, write shorter and shorter messages. And it gives me the feeling as though I'm in a constant hurry, even though I'm not. I'm not in a hurry. I've plenty of time. <laughs> so um, I think that's the effect of um, WhatsApp. I tell you what, I never even thought about letters. I can't remember the last time I wrote a letter that's the <laughs> millennial for you, but um, but yeah, no, that's um, that's really interesting because you, you until you stop and think about these things, you don't realise that actually, like you say, the quality of communication mm. with technology is it's obviously changed to become shorter, faster, quicker, easier, and. Uh, yeah, I guess it takes a lot of personality out of the, the communication aspect of it when you're not taking time to write a letter. And I guess when you when you look back in, um, you know, the, the older times when letter writing was the main form of communication, you're right. It was, you know, pages and pages that you would receive from somebody mm -hmm. and it would it would almost be like a story that they're telling. Um, and it must yeah. have been so much more engaging, um, you know, being that far apart so now that's super interesting so um and I guess obviously with on a slightly different note you you stay certain places for a certain amount of time um but ultimately you know you, you are moving around you're, you're nomads really in a sense what do you actually call home when you've uh, when you're kind of up and up and about and moving around well, in the time that I met Peter, which is now almost 18 years ago, this is the first time that we actually owned something, and this is very, very primitive. But um, yeah. we've been here two years, which is astonishingly long. <laughs> so I guess this is home <laughs> for now, and especially with animals, I'm just realizing how difficult it is to travel now. You know, we need a house sitter if we go away now. It's so problematic. <laughs> But um, I always called my home just the forest. And that's where I felt most at ease. And I still do. Mm -hmm. And uh, my tent. So we have our tent and we sleep in there. And that's the place where we sleep the best. And when we go and stay with friends in a town for resupply or whatever, um, that's when we stay up late because of the electricity. Um, we eat a lot of food, yes. we get sick because of the cold that spread among humans, and um, then we go back to the forest and recover. So yeah, the forest is our home. Honestly, myself and my partner went up to Scotland to the Cairngorms um, only a couple of months ago, and we went up to Nevis, and it's it's really surprising just how sort of just how peaceful it feels just walking through woodland and through just total nature. You can't hear any roads. There are no street lights. There are no, and, and again, you, you forget that, you know, the, the fact that these homes have electricity, you stay up a lot later than you would naturally in the wild. But I assume do you do you tend to get woken up much earlier when you're out in nature um, by the birds or you know, the, the sun rising, does that tend to wake you up very early and you start your day much sooner than everyone else? Yeah, yeah, in summer, for sure. <laughs> but in winter, yeah. we sleep really long hours. So still in this cottage, there is no electricity. So in the winter, we light a candle and then, uh, well, we go to bed really early, maybe seven o'clock. It's been dark for a couple of hours. Uh, but in summer, indeed, we get a little sleep deprived and we need to sleep in a day because I wake up 
uh, when it's light. So, um, yeah, mm. with the birds, for sure. Yeah. And you know what? When I think back to, because I'm, I'm half Greek, as I mentioned, and all my family on my dad's side live over in Greece on the mainland. I always found it strange. You know, I always thought, why do they sleep in the middle of the day? Why do they have siestas? And when you think about it, when you go back in time when there was no electricity, as you say, you, you have to catch up on your sleep in the daytime, maybe with an app through the summer. And uh, it kind of makes sense that, you know, that that's why they do that, um, you know, in, in places like Greece and Spain and I assume Bulgaria as well, because it's not very far from uh, from those places. Yeah, absolutely. I think they work in the early morning. So they get up at six and at seven, they're already working in the fields because at 11, it's already too hot. That's what we experienced in the last month. It's August now and uh, it's been terribly hot. And um, yeah, that's what they do. But I wouldn't do, want to do that in winter though. The days are already too short. Yeah, I bet you get some good sleep in the winter. Um, but it's, you know what, it, it's always so hard having to wake up when it's so dark and then drive into work and you get to work and it's still dark and you go home and it's dark over here. It would be um, such a different life to um, to really be working with natural light, really, um, dependent on when you get up and when you go to bed. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I think the worst invention ever is electricity because it made us sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. And I notice when I'm not sleeping enough, I am a different person. If I don't get nine <laughs> hours of sleep, um, yeah, I become more grumpy. <laughs> I <laughs> become more emotional. I cry. Normally I never cry. I only cry and being emotional when I don't have enough sleep. And if you don't have so much energy, you're automatically less happy. That's my um, mm -hmm. outcome of my little research on sleep. Yeah, I think it's enormously important, and that's what we destroyed with um, electric light. And so did you guys miss out on COVID? Did it affect you at all, being out in the wild, um, or not having that mixture with civilization? Did that, um, did that have an effect on you at all? No, not really, because we were living in the middle of Abel Tasman National Park in New Zealand. We didn't see anyone anyway. Oh, wow. And uh, we got loads of food supplies and uh, we didn't need to go near civilization. In the beginning, like everyone else, we thought it was really deadly. Like if we see it, we would die instantly. Um, yeah. But um, luckily it mutated and only in 2021 did we go to Bulgaria where there was still COVID. But at the time, there was no COVID in New Zealand either. It was just spreading there, basically COVID-free. So yeah, it was very scary because they had, um, well, they don't um, take rules very seriously here. So, um, but actually here, we didn't notice too much either because we're quite far from a village and uh, we don't see too many people. But yeah, that's one of the advantages. So oh, I'm guessing great. it's so similar. Um, in Bulgaria, it's just, yeah, we just live out, you know, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, but I yeah. guess, you know, you've, you've probably got other battles to overcome. Are there any particular sort of illnesses or um, problems in that sense that, that you guys sort of struggle with sometimes or have to really try and avoid? Because um, I know it can be quite tough, you know, not necessarily being connected straight to... Um, like a hospital or, or a doctor's surgery or having that freedom to, you know, just go and visit, visit the doctors or the dentist or, you know, what kind of 
problems do you guys sometimes face when you're you're living out in the in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> well, when we're living in the wilderness in New Zealand, uh, we only got mm -hmm. sick, as I mentioned before, when going to town. Yeah. So um, then we recovered back in the wilderness. So I'm talking about colds and flus, and um, I think one of us had some tooth pain, but that was just when we were in town, so we went to the dentist. It was never a problem. Um, mm -hmm. The worst thing I ever had was some athlete foot um, that didn't go away because I kept washing my feet in the winter and put on woolen socks at night, and that was problematic, but nothing major. But um, when we were traveling through Australia, in 2018, Peter contracted kidney failure um, as a result of diarrhea and dehydration. And um, that was very serious. And in the beginning, it was acute kidney failure, but that unfortunately turned into chronic kidney failure. So our whole life was upside down. And we talked about that with uh, Ben Fogel. That's what happened between yeah. his two visits. But um, then Peter said, okay, you know what, I trust the body to recover. I trust the body is like, you know, a tree. When a branch falls off, it can recover because that's built in in every um, body and every living being, right? And he trusted his body to recover, and it did, miraculously. So he did not go for dialysis and kidney transplant, and um, he recovered enough to live here but indeed the doctor would say you are living in, a, in the wrong place because there's no hospital nearby so he's definitely taking a risk and i don't know mm -hmm. if i would be brave enough to do that if i was in his situation but i do appreciate his um his, you know his courage but yeah if something goes wrong it goes terribly wrong here that's for sure there's no doctor here no hospital um yeah. we just hope for the best <laughs> Oh gosh. Well, they do say that, don't they? It's it's all about your mindset sometimes and how the body can make itself ill purely from thought. It can make itself better through thought as well. Putting yourself into a um, an environment and a position where you can self heal. Um, and it, it's it's happened to, to thousands of people where they've managed to overcome you know, diseases or problems that even the doctors say it's gone too far. It's um, it's just incredible what, what nature can do. And I hope he's, he's doing all right now as well. It sounds like he's, he's really not doing too bad considering the situation. No, indeed, he's doing really well. But he had a lot of close encounters with death. And as a result, he's not afraid to die. And I think that saves a lot of energy. Being afraid takes mm -hmm. up so much energy. So um, he saves himself energy that he uses to recover by just not being afraid mm -hmm. to die. And I think that's such a good lesson in that too. So, um, so yeah, I mean, obviously I asked ChatGPT, you know, what are some of the typical uh, problems that you might face while you're living in the wilderness? And yeah, a, a few of them, um, you know, I, I guess I... I agree with, I don't know about yourself, but, you know, nutritional deficiencies, you know, are there, because I guess you, you have to eat very seasonally, don't you? And like you say, you know, where you had to move from, you know, one valley to the other when you run out of all hair, all the hair, you'd eat all the hairs. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so have you guys ever 
kind of um, come across, you know, nutritional problems while you've been out in the world, maybe if there, there hasn't been enough of something to, to eat or? Well, in the high mountains in New Zealand, there's very little to eat. You basically have to live off meat mm -hmm. and only in the, in the summer you can get some berries and um, plants to eat, but otherwise not much at all. And so we always had some basic food supplies like uh, flour and lentils that we organized. But in 2019, I, just, uh, I organized an epic female expedition and I went with one other woman to survive for three months with just a rod and a rifle. And uh, we became very wow. thin <laughs> and it was really <laughs> quite an adventure. And we um, resorted to um, eating grasshoppers and um, crickets and all sorts of, um, you know, little things to get a bit of energy. But yeah, that was almost a little bit dangerous because I discovered that in the end, you're not hungry anymore. So we ate loads of berries that fills the stomach, but it gives no energy. So we became more and more lethargic, but not hungry. And that was a strange thing. And so we said, oh, shall we go out hunting, look for hares? And ah, nah, I can't be bothered. I mean, you know, we're telling each other stories, laughter and all that. There was no feeling of danger. Only afterwards that we think, hey, then we ate very little back then. <laughs> Luckily, we mm -hmm. came across two, others, two other hunters who just shot a deer. And they gave us a lot of meat. And then we realized, oh, wow, it was a bit of a tricky situation there. Oh, wow. That's so interesting how, how the brain can almost trick itself into not feeling hungry, but actually... You know, you, you are, in essence, sort of starving, aren't you? Um, and the same, same happened to Peter in the desert in Australia when he got di diarrhea. And after that dehydration, mm. we had plenty of water. Why didn't he drink more? <laughs> so you can almost die of dehydration without ever feeling thirsty. So that's really strange. I guess, I mean, are there any particular elements that you ever miss about sort of living in an urban environment or would you just literally never go back again like what do you think oh i would never choose to live back in an urban environment no i think it's a living death mm. i think you get <laughs> most of all i think you get bored to death like alex de tokenville mm. said in 1850 or something he said um, the curse of america will be one day the curse of the world sheer well ordered boredom and that's what I see when I go to a suburb. You know, it's just so ordered. It's so controlled. There's no life. There's no chaos. There's nothing that's left to, um, you know, the natural way. So um, that I feel like is a prison to me anyway. You know, if you come from another background, like you come from some sort of slum, then a, a tidy suburb is heaven. Or if you come from war, yeah. you know, refugees, they feel safe. Uh, so it's very, very personal. Um, and what about the social elements of it? Because I guess it, it must get very lonely, even, even just the two of you being um, out on your own for such sort of long periods of time as well. Um, do you ever miss the social aspects of, of living in the wilderness? Well, when we lived in New Zealand for seven years in the wilderness, yeah. uh, I actually never felt lonely. Because life was so full, those big mountains and the weather and the rivers and the animals, there was nothing, no space to miss anything. Very strange. 
Um, and if I missed my family, then I would resort to uh, writing letters. So I did write a lot. Yeah. Um, but now, of course, now that we are here in Bulgaria and our little cottage in the Rodopi Mountains, I got this telephone. And so uh, I feel very <laughs> much more connected to the rest of the world. But what is the price that I'm paying for that is my next question. That's very true. That's very true. And I guess you, you probably won't know until you give it up again and you'll be like, ah, yes, that's what I've been missing. <laughs> yeah, indeed. But... It might be too high a price. As I mentioned before, I think the connection with nature is less if connected to the internet. I love that. I love that. Honestly, you're making me want to move into the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I really <laughs> wish I could. Um, well, I guess I could. You've just got to, you've just got to have, uh, excuse the, the word, but you've just got to have the balls to, to just do it, haven't you? And just to um, really embrace it and take the leap. Yeah, but I do think it's very important to have a partner. So I'm really glad I met Peter. Yeah. To do this with because we have the same intention I don't think I wanted to do it on my own I think that is really lonely but also mm. uh, and I think all the listeners in this particular podcast will agree with that the more skills you learn the more confident you become and the less dependent on the system and the less afraid you become of everything so you reduce your anxiety by learning more skills to be more independent to, to grow a garden to build your own home and um, just to, that you feel you're capable of doing something for yourself. I think that's really important. Absolutely, because I think these days we're just all so, um, I guess, so reliant upon technology to do things for us. And with the um, evolution of, you know, AI technology, you, you can literally get chat GPT to answer any question you want to write you it could write you a book if you asked it to if you gave it the right prompts it kind of takes everything out of you know what being human is is all about and that independence just absolutely disappears so yeah because we become more, and more helpless and dependent and that creates fear and resentment and frustration yeah so it's no good at all in the long run um, um one just one final question for you really you know what what lies ahead for you in the future you know you're you're going on a hike is it across the Himalayas next yes that's right um I met Peter in India 18 years ago and in two weeks I will be back in India for the first time um this time with a friend called Sophie Hilaire she has summited Everest in 2019 uh, so she will be a very wow. good companion uh, but Peter will stay at home as a sort of an expedition leader at home uh, because he is not able to do that anymore with his kidneys. But um, yeah, I will be going for two months. We will climb three mountain ranges over 5,000 meters and we do all the navigation, everything ourselves. We won't use any porters or guides. So this will be our expedition and I'm looking forward to it. Oh, wow. Well, really, really good luck with it. And uh, do you ever think you'll uh, you'll climb Everest as well or is that... Uh... Peak no. for the future, maybe. No, no. <laughs> it costs too much money. If it was free, I'd do it. Does, it does, but it? no, it's not worth the yeah. money. <laughs> if you'd like to read a bit more, you can read one of my three books, Woman in the Wilderness, Wild at Heart. And last March, a new book came out, which is a combination of many stories together. Uh, it's called Wilder Journeys in the UK. And if you don't like reading, uh, look me up on YouTube. I made loads of shorts last winter. And uh, that's Miriam Lanswood in the wild. And I've got a YouTube channel. And otherwise on my website, uh, miriamlanswood.com. Thank you so much, Miriam. It's been an absolute pleasure.
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Have a great day.